I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Today's conversation is absolutely riveting. I'm joined by Dr. Sally Uren, who is CEO of Forum for the Future. This is an extraordinary organization. They're a not-for-profit based in the UK, founded in 1996, and they have a very unique way of approaching sustainability. Their mission is to unite organizations to catalyze transformational systems change to deliver a sustainable future. And you'll hear from Sally, she'll say, we must go beyond the shallow ESG initiatives that unfortunately so many companies have announced today. Collaborate with others, think broadly, think profoundly to reimagine our economy, to transform the way the world works. So join me for this absolutely stimulating conversation. I know you're going to walk away with ideas that will profoundly move your organization's sustainable future forward. So welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you, Carol. And thank you for that kind and slightly embarrassing introduction. (laughs) Oh, but it's well-deserved. So why don't we start? Um, Can you talk to our our listeners a little bit about what is your role as a chief executive for Forum for the Future? And then how did you create it in 1996? Well, my role today is to oversee the impact that we are trying to create from our four different offices. I'm based here in the UK where we have an office in London. We also have an office in Mumbai, in India and in Singapore and also in Brooklyn in the US. And my role really is to ensure that as a small organization, we deliver on our very big ambition, which is to catalyze change in key systems and really accelerate the transition of those key systems. And actually, I didn't found Forum. Forum oh, was founded by Jonathan Porritt. Okay. But I have been there for over 20 years. So I was really brought in at the early day, days, the early stages. Um, and I was hired to really build our work with business. Um, so when I joined Forum, we were purely UK based. We had a handful of businesses with whom we were engaging. And my role was to really build out that network and to build our approach in respect to business transformation. So that was kind of what I was hired to do. I've had a million different jobs at Forum (laughs) since then. um, And I've been CEO for nearly 10 years. I love that you mentioned business transformation. And you say that it is no longer a choice um, about how businesses will engage uh, with the future. It is now time to lead So can you chat a little bit about what does a sustainable future look like from where you sit? We've actually done a lot of work over the last couple of years to really increase our ambition when we talk about a sustainable future. And the reason for articulating a greater ambition, and I'll come on to describe what that is in a moment, is really the recognition of where we are at this moment in time, which is, you know, we have been pursuing sustainability in business now for, what, two decades, maybe even three. And we have made progress, but we haven't made enough progress. And 
we haven't got close enough to driving deep systems transformation. And in recognition of the fact that we haven't made the progress that we need to see and the challenges that we face are urgent, they're interconnected, we now describe a sustainable future as a just and regenerative future. So socially just and regenerative. And it's a future where we are operating within planetary boundaries. So we've managed to respond with the degree of urgency that's required to our climate crisis, our biodiversity crisis. We've also reconfigured how we create and deliver value. At the moment, financial value is created in very prescribed ways and actually benefits a very small part of the population. And we've, in this future, not only changed how we develop and distribute value, but we've also centered humans at the really intersection of this future and recognizing that as humans, we are completely independent on the world around us. So this just and regenerative future is where we're operating within planetary boundaries, where we have put equity, justice at the center of our approach to how we do business. And critically, we've transformed the systems that we rely on so that they are capable of allowing us as humans, but critically as well, the planet to flourish into the long term. When you do this, and we'll get into it um, in greater depth, but you always talk about collaboration. And it's not, your vision is not a single company or organization is going to make this urgent change happen, but it is collaboration. And I would love you, because that's like one of those operating principles of uh, the forum. Can you talk a little bit about how did you get to that vision? You know, for any of our listeners, I also, I always say collaboration is key if you truly are going to create systemic change. So why do you embrace it? How did you get there? And then what are some tips? So it's a three-parter. What are some tips for making collaboration work? We began to understand the imperative around collaboration actually about a decade ago. And the understanding came from the realization that we were at that point working mostly one-on-one with organizations And it became really clear that organizations share these challenges and that if we really are going to transform agriculture, for example, that's not within the gift of one organization because it is a systemic challenge. And we, through our work, began to really hit the limit of what we could do working one-on-one with organizations, not just business, but in philanthropy, civil society. And it was a, you might say, an obvious aha moment, but it was definitely... Mm. Uh Aha, we now need to think more seriously about collaboration. And our first collaboration was in the food system. And critically, a vision without a roadmap is mostly a hallucination. So what were the things that you need to do um, to kind of realize that vision? And so it became really clear that if we're going to talk about transformation of the dairy industry, we need the system to come together. Um, and that was, that was our, you know, the first sort of collaboration of its nature and just came from that insight, which was systemic change requires the system to come together. There are some rare occasions where one actor or one organization, and I think Steve Jobs and Apple might be one of the rare exceptions where one individual, one organization can create systemic change and how, you know, Apple and Steve Jobs 
you know, reimagine the role of digital in our world. But usually you need the system to come together. And that was kind of the beginning of the journey of our work, which really has led to delay today where, yes, we still work with individual organizations, those organizations that share our ambition for a just and regenerative future. But we also, you know, work through collaborations across the world on the key areas that we feel will benefit from our focus. But tips for successful collaboration, um, there are a few. The first is to have a shared vision. What's also important is estimate how much time you need to build, put, put in to build relationships and then triple it. Because <laughs> the really successful collaborations rely on human interaction. And, and then I think the third key ingredient is to have very clear decision making processes. Who's making what decision in what situation? Who is the ultimate decision maker? Who do they need to take advice from? And if I was to add a fourth ingredient, it is be really honest and open about the need to do things differently. I see multiple collaborations across multiple systems today, which are really at best designing incremental change because ultimately the test of a collaboration has to be, am I willing to shift the system around me? Am I willing to design for transformational change? Fantastic. That That's a great, oh my God, what a great list. And we will definitely promote that. Because, you know, in, in reading um, in many of your, of your articles and your website, I love the fact that you say incremental change is out of runway. Yes. And you have, you're always talking, this is why I love listening to you, because you're always talking about the urgency of the now. So you've got, you came up with your business transformation compass. Yes. And so can you chat a bit about why you created it and mm-hmm. then how it's creating more of this urgency? We created it because we had done a good job-ish of persuading businesses that the way we were responding to our sustainability challenges just wasn't commensurate with the scale and the urgency of the challenges. And we've done a reasonable job of articulating what this just and regenerative future could be. And then our close business partners said, okay, so we get that we need to do things differently. We kind of understand where you think we need to go, but how on earth do we do that? Um, and so that was the genesis behind the business transformation compass. It was, you know, a genuine attempt to get a little bit closer to the how. And we've had a go at suggesting what that transformation might look like according to issue area and according to function within the business. Brilliantly stated. So can you, for someone who's not really familiar, some of our listeners are going, yeah, I've heard regenerative, but I really don't. Can you unpack that a bit? When we talk about just and regenerative, we're talking about a system, be it the food system or the energy system, operating in a way that you create the conditions for long-term prosperity, long-term resilience, flourishing. And the word regenerative is taken from natural systems. So if we think about nature, natural systems, there is no waste. Nature doesn't create waste. There's a lot that we can take from the notion of regeneration in nature and apply it to our social economic systems, 
the the formal systems that we rely on, you know, in, in our everyday lives. So regenerative is at its simplest, the capacity to thrive, to continue in a way that drives these positive outcomes for people and for the planet. And the reason we use the word just as well is really recognizing that when we look back over the sustainability movement, that social dimension from equity to human rights to, you know, broader living wages has been missing. And so what we wanted to do is not only really explode out this notion of regenerative, which is to really build the capacity of systems so that they can create the conditions in which we all flourish, we all prosper. But we wanted to center the social dimension much more strongly in that vision. Hence, we talk about just and regenerative. I love that. One of the ways that you that you talk about, which people don't think about that much, is that procurement and the supply chain can be an engine of environmental, social, and economic value creation. But I think most people don't think about it. They think, oh, procurement, I want the cheapest price, get it to me fast, and that's it. So can you engage our listeners in terms of like, why should they think about procurement as value creation? I actually think procurement might be the secret weapon we've been looking for to unlock massive systems transformation. And to go back to the business transformation compass as a way of explaining how I think we could reimagine procurement, within the business transformation compass, we set out a vision for what we mean by gesture and genitive. We've set out guidance for issue areas, for corporate functional areas, but we spend a lot of time talking about mindset. The, the stories we tell ourselves, the, our beliefs, the way we interpret the world around us, because it's become really clear that the very wise and brilliant Donella Meadows, one of the early system thinkers, was completely right when she talked about leverage points in a system. You know, where do you need to intervene in the system to try and shift that system? And she talked to the, about the fact that the deepest lever for change is usually our mindset. It's the stories we tell ourselves. It's the narratives that we weave and Within the Business Transformation Campus, we talk about four nested mindsets, and you see them in all organizations. You have a risk mitigation mindset, which is very much where a lot of procurement sits today, is, you know, I just need to reduce the risk of exposure in my supply chain. Um, that's the lens I'm going to bring to supply chain. We then move into doing good. So we want to kind of move from risk mitigation to perhaps carbon neutrality, water neutrality. We're beginning to think about human rights in this mindset. We've then got, this is really ambitious, what we call the kind of um, repair and replenish mindset. So this is very aligned with a mindset that says, actually, if we're really going to move towards a sustainable future, we need to put more back into nature, more back into society than we take out. And actually, that mindset is really predicated on principles of net positive, which um, you know I helped co-write those over, gosh, eight years ago. But what was missing from that mindset is that real recognition that we need systemic change. And that's what we call the just and regenerative mindset. It's a mindset that says, actually, yes, we need to put more back than we take out society and the environment, but we also need to reconfigure the world around us. Now, going back to procurement, the predominant mindset when we think about procurement is risk mitigation. 
And I think that if we could think about procurement differently, you know, a kind of reawakening of procurement through the lens of a just and generative mindset, we would suddenly see a route to absolutely dealing with our scope three carbon emissions and getting to net zero, but also a route to driving this just and generative future. So how do we switch from short-term relationships driven by cost conversations to long-term relationships that, yes, give us security of supply, but also enable the supply chain, the value network to build its own capacity for long-term resilience. And I think if we shifted our mindset from when we think about procurement, it's all about risk mitigation to, oh my goodness, how we procure, how we manage our supply chains could actually be part of how we drive systemic change, I think we'd see a lot of progress. Absolutely. And I know that in Paul Pullman and Andrew Winston's wonderful book, Net Positive, there's these two pages that really, I mean, many of them really jumped out at me, but it was about that that at Unilever, they took their top 100, 200 VPs and they partnered them with people in procurement and with their customers in their supply chains. And the reason they did it, Paul said, was to create, to your point, Sally, relationships because Unilever wanted to be the first in line when innovations came down and that they would discuss those innovations with Unilever versus someone else because they invested in a relationship. And I thought that was just brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Often, you know, we, procurement is characterized by very extractive, transaction you know transactional approach but actually we can approach procurement as you know a, a means to create you know systemic change we can approach it with that mindset which is actually how by working together can we do something amazing and i think for too long procurement has been on the edge of this conversation um you know they often don't have much interaction at all with the business but back to my previous comment, I think procurement could be the secret weapon we've all been searching for. One incredible lever in the toolbox, so to speak. You work with amazing organizations and they're on your website. So from Unilever to VF to Reckitt, Marks and Spencer, Target, SCJ and others, are there, I'm sure each one has a great relationship with you, but are there a couple stories that you can share about, wow, well, I really created, we created this collaboration with many of our partners coming together to truly either address food or to address energy or a different way of doing business? Lots of exciting work happening here. One of um, the collaborations that I'm closest to is our growing our future collaboration in the U.S., where um, funded by the VF Foundation, the Walmart Foundation and Nestle, we have um, created a neutral space where the familiar names, um, you know, VF Corporation, the retailers are working with BIPOC-led community groups, farmer groups, where we've worked really hard to enable those lesser heard voices to be heard in that conversation around, well, what does the transition of the food system in the US look like? 
Um, and so it's just a fabulous collaboration of, yes, names that you would recognize, many of the corporates active in this space, but also, you know, the Latino ranchers, um, the Latino Farmers Association and, and these other groups that, you know, have not historically been part of collaborations in the food space. So, you know, that is, is super exciting and is really our contribution, modest as it is to, try and accelerate the transition of the U.S. food system to one that's based on the principles of regenerative. And then we have um, collaborations that are less geographically specific but are more uh, content-specific, issue-specific. So we have something called the Climate and Health Coalition, supported by Bupo, but also Reckitt, um, Halion that were GSK Consumer Healthcare, um, and Walgreens Boost Alliance, um, and actually recently Bristol Myers Scripps have joined that coalition, where we're trying to provide guidance to the private sector. And the high dream here is, what would happen if every net zero strategy also went that tiny bit further and specified health benefits for employees, for suppliers, for communities, Equally, what would happen if every health and well-being strategy, every public health strategy just went that tiny bit further and spoke about benefits for climate? You suddenly get accelerated systemic change in two of the key systems upon which we rely. So those are two of the collaborations that I'm particularly involved with and a super exciting, super challenging because they're going into places where no one has gone, but a really as I say, our contribution to try and accelerate systemic change in these key systems. Accelerate systemic change. I know that one of your partners also is USBCSD. They represent companies all over the world. So if any of our listeners are going like, we're ready to take the next step. You know, they've heard you at various conferences. They've read, you know, your materials at the Future Center and such. What's what happens? What's the transformation in their actions that they need to like, okay, I want to work with the forum for the future? Yeah, gosh, it would, it's my dream that there are <laughs> millions of organizations like that that have that aha moment. Um, and so a lot of our work is sharing the business transformation compass and all the work we've done on mindsets and helping organizations understand, well, where are they today? And if they were to embrace a just and regenerative mindset, what actually in practical terms could that look like? So I see our role as, you know, a, a critical friend, um, a compass to help make sense of this really complex world, but also an accelerator. Um, we need to speed up. And so we quite quickly get to concrete things an organization can, can do differently. But those things that you identify are really designed to create cascading impacts in multiple systems and to drive this systemic change and to not keep pushing ahead, but in an incremental fashion. It sounds like that you've obviously you've had the experience in changing the corporate mindset, but let's just say you've got a CSO, which we have a lot of them listening to this podcast, and they're going... How do I convince my CEO, CFO, chief, you know, procurement officers that we need to be more urgent, especially in this inflationary period? Of course, where the headwinds are very strong. We typically use our futures tools and techniques. Um, so sometimes it's really hard to design for transform change, transformational change from today because 
today is hard. We've got massive inflation. We have a war in Europe. I mean, we could go on. And so asking someone to design for transformation or change from today is really difficult because there's 101 reasons as to why you wouldn't want to do it right now. But what you can do is to take organizations, individuals into different futures. And at Forum, we use scenarios. We use what we call trajectories, which are kind of different pathways into different futures. Um, we use trends. We have a whole array of approaches which allow organizations to immerse themselves into the future, into different possible futures, and to ask, how, how are we creating value in this future? What are those pathways to value creation? What are our risks? What are our opportunities? And the big question is, if in this future we were responding to the climate emergency, we were trying to address issues, issues of structural inequality, what would we be doing? And so you begin to create a vision of what you could be in this future and say, okay, well, if that's what we could do, how do we do it? And so back to the question of the CEO that's just rightly focused on short-term profit, profit maximization, putting them in a future and saying, so in this future, how are you going to create value? And having that conversation that says the pathways to value creation today will be very different tomorrow is highly likely by 2030, even before we will have some kind of carbon trading mechanism. We will have started to, um, forgive the, the jargon, internalize some of these current external costs. At the moment, you know, we're not paying for the damage that we're causing to nature. Not, I mean, we're, no way are we really footing the bill for structural inequality. But I think some of that may change. And I've seen mindset shift happen where a CEO explores the future begins to see that how they make money today may not be how they make money tomorrow, but to understand that they can shape that future by innovating today, then I've seen massive change happen. So it sounds like you have workshops with very senior people. I mean, explain a little bit more on the nuts and bolts on who's in the room, how, you know, you're showing them the future, you're in, engaging with them. Just curious about what it looks like. It always looks a bit different because every organization is different. And some people love um, scenarios. Others don't like scenarios, prefer, you know, innovation pathways. But at its heart, what we try and do is to bring a senior cross-functional group together, ideally the board. And we will often have interviewed beforehand to get a sense of where they think the future might be going and to really immerse them in where we might be headed as a society, as an economy. And yeah, to shock them a bit, because there's still a real lack of awareness in the boardroom about some of the science around climate, some of the science around structural inequalities, where that could lead us, which, you know, if you play it through, could lead to democracy disappearing in parts of the world. Without democracy, it's really hard to see how global supply chains will function, by the way. Um, so a serious conversation about what some of these trends might mean for the business. And then that co-creation, that innovation piece that says, so if this is what could happen, what 
do we then need to do differently today to take those insights from the future and build them into the strategy today? So it's that future's exploration, but bringing it back to what does that tell us we need to do differently today? And then the last bit I would say, Carol, is being really clear that one of the approaches we need to embrace here is to hold multiple time horizons. It's very easy to just focus on the short term. And, you know, we, we know that that has its risks. I'd love to ask you, not to put you on the spot, but I will. Do you have something that you're so proud of? That is putting me on the spot. And it's hard to think of one thing. I, I suppose I can think of milestones on this journey. So an important milestone was being invited into a boardroom to talk about sustainability. And when I started, you know, sustainability was a conversation held by a corporate responsibility team, maybe one person, maybe two people at the edge of the business, um, no interaction with the board. And it just wasn't on the board agenda. Today, where I feel most proud is, and there's, there's two parts of this. In our collaborations, I feel proud where we have created a safe and neutral and trusted space where difficult conversations can be had and new ways of doing and thinking can happen. And that's very much what's happening in our growing our future collaboration. Uh, so you see, that's wonderful. But you continue, can, you have this drive. I mean, you've, you've hit those milestones, but you just keep driving forward. We only have a few more minutes left. And I always like to turn the mic over to my guest. And so, um, you know, what are the last, you know, couple things that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, because the future is, uh, there's an urgency that we all must apply to having a sustainable future. What's really important right now is to be honest about how hard all of this is. Those headwinds we talked about a moment ago, Carol, they're really real. And they are multiple headwinds. Waking up to our reality alongside the waking up to these issues are urgent can actually sometimes be really paralyzing because you think, well, my God. So there's so many problems that are stopping us doing what we need to be doing. And the problems we need to solve for actually are huge, insurmountable. It's sometimes easy to feel a little bit paralyzed. And for all of the folk that may listen to this and, you know, are feeling as though it's all a little bit impossible, I want to say, yes, it can feel like that. And it does feel like that sometimes. However, for every ounce of impossibility is 10 ounces of possibility because the future isn't written. It really isn't. The world we live in today, right here today on um, 17th of April, 2023, is a function of the decisions we took yesterday. The decisions we take today will create tomorrow. And yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But if we don't take everything we've learned, everything we know, and we know a lot, and actually all of the solutions we need are here, it's up to us. And I don't think it's good enough to put so much pressure on a really young generation coming through. This is our mess. You know, we have to do our bit. And 
be kind to yourself. These are really tough challenges, but it's a marathon and not a sprint. So I guess I would just say three things, really. The future isn't written. It's ours to create. Celebrate those small wins. They are many, many, many of them. It is a marathon, not a sprint. And keep asking yourself, is what I'm doing, is it locking in the existing system? You know, am I adding to predatory delay? Or is what I'm doing allowing the emergence of a new way of operating, a new system, a system that's working to different goals? Just keep asking yourself that and you'll check yourself. And I, I do this. It, it's a way of then really focusing on designing for that transformational change. So keep your eye on that systemic change. Be kind to yourself and rest assured the future is yours to write. Oh, thank you so much. And I love, I've got this quote from you because you say, unless there is engagement at a personal level, nothing really changes. Correct. Remember that when you're talking to the board, facts and figures just wash over people. But asking people to think and act differently in pursuit of something much better, much brighter, something that will benefit the people that they love is a much more useful tactic. Oh, that, that's a wonderful way to end. Thank you, Dr. Sally Uren. Um, Forum for the Future. Um, we feel your urgency. We feel that we must collaborate, that there are interesting unlocks um, of very uh, different groups coming together cross-functionally, as well as I love transforming procurement. So thank you so much for joining Purpose 360. And um, I know that we have inspired others to help create a more sustainable future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carol. It's been lovely to have this chance to have this conversation. And I hope it inspires people. We can do this. We really can. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Ann Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us, because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it and evolve it over time so it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question. What is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.